audio sermons from Peachtree Christian Church. Please remain standing for the reading of Holy Scripture. Our scripture this morning uh, comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked, oh, then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, my friends. It's a delight to be with you in worship. This morning, as I was trying to dress for church, my son, Maximus, who was four, came crawling into bed to cuddle with his mom. And he said, is it church day? He said, are we going to Sunday class? That's what he calls Sunday school, Sunday class. Yes, it's church day, she said. She goes, in a groggy voice, I knew she was tired from a long day's travel the day before. She said, it's also football day. And I said, don't say that to him. Don't tell him that the NFL takes over everything. This is the church day. I like that better. And I'm aware of the fact that I'm putting on football cufflinks at the same time as I was donning my San Francisco 49er sweater. And I go, uh, yeah, well, anyway, it's the Lord's day. <laughs> and I decided to come to work that way. But here's the thing. Um, it is it is the Super Bowl. I am a lifelong 49er fan. Go 49ers. But can I just remind you all, it's, it's a silly game. Can I remind you all that the, the way you can reflect on it is that God made us people of play, and isn't it delightful that we can play games, that we can have fun, but it's a game, right? It doesn't matter who wins or loses. It doesn't matter how many records that pop star sells. It's just a game. Have fun tonight and worship Jesus now, amen? Worship Jesus during the game too, but you can still do it while watching the game. It's possible to do two things at once. But let me also tell you this, it is Lunar New Year the year of the dragon, and so it is appropriate to wear red today, so I'm wearing red for my friends who are celebrating Lunar New Year, as I have several in the congregation who, who are doing so. So if it's something you celebrate and think about, Happy New Year to you. One more final word about the way I'm presenting myself. I did take the 49er sweatshirt off for the sermon because I don't want to make too many enemies, but I'm not wearing the robe, and I just want you to know that's honestly, uh, my medication that I'm on is like really making me struggle with heat so if you can forgive me, I still have this. I'm with you. I, I, I want to be 
I want to be reverent, but I, I don't want to pass out. So I hope that you can forgive me for not the robe today. Um, in all things, I want you to know that you don't have to come to church today to seek God, or you don't have to do anything to seek God. I believe that God is always already near you. And so what we have to do is to become present to that fact. Can you become aware with me together as a community that, that God is already so close to you, that God sees you wherever you are and knows you intimately? And so your job is to rid yourself of distraction, of angst, of future thinking, of past thinking, and try to be now with your Savior. Can you breathe quietly and just be now clear the mechanism, as it were, to receive from God today? Let's take a few moments of pause. When you're ready, I want you to breathe out a cleansing breath as if all impurities were leaving your mind and heart. And sense the reality that you are going to breathe in the breath of God. God, we've gathered together in this place as your people to have a divine appointment with you. And God, we've come together to, to find your transfiguring love in our lives, to be transformed by your presence, to know it and to be aware of it, to be aware of the fact that you are already, already, already at work in us. And we submit ourselves to you. God, whether anyone else knows it or not, you and I know that without you I can do nothing. So we make space to be present for your spirit, to be present within us, that your heart would take shape of our own hearts that we may know your will and know your ways to walk as your son Jesus taught us to walk in this world. For it is in his name that we pray and that we live and move and serve and have our being and God's people say together, Amen. My wife said, I think I'm going to be sick to my stomach. We were driving over Blood Mountain. Have you ever driven over Blood Mountain in North Georgia? We were going in and out of these hairpin-style turns. It seemed like one turn would take us out over a ledge, and then we'd come really close to the mountainside, like you were going to kind of go into its little pocket, and you would swerve this way and that. The elevation went up, and then we'd crest a hill, and we'd come down. It certainly is startling for people who have tummy sickness in cars, but if you're also in your DNA and your genes as the flatlands of central Illinois, it's startling. And I could tell that she and some of the kids were having quite a difficult time if I went a certain speed, so we, we slowed down. We took a turn out over one of those ledges, and we came right back in towards the mountain, and there was something that one of my daughters noticed. She said, what's that? So I look over, and I describe what I see kind of like I'm just making an observation about anything that you might see, a billboard, a cow, a barn. I say, oh, that's a cross. Yeah, but why is there a cross there? When I said it was a cross, it was one of those just noted observations. But when she asked why, it took my mind into that, that mode of, of deeper reflection. And I thought about it for a moment. I, I drove too fast and too swiftly to see what was on it. But I could tell there was writing on the cross. And perhaps it had been decorated, personalized for somebody. But I knew that cross well. I had seen thousands of crosses like this in my life on interstates, back roads, country roads. I thought to myself, well, let's just be honest. And so I told them that I believed that someone had died there 
she asked me, she said, well, I mean, are they buried there? Why is there a cross there? And, and I said, no, but they, they must have died there. And then all of a sudden, the hairpin turn didn't seem like a geographical location that my wife had to endure to get through. It seemed like it was something of a sacred spot. Something happened there, and it, and it shook somebody's life. My daughter said, why would they put a cross there and not where the grave is? I said, well, maybe there is one there, but as I thought about it, I, I got curious about why we do things, and it, it's just kind of what we do as humans, isn't it? When we experience things that have profound meaning or take hold of our imagination of our existence, we do things to mark it. We, we build monuments. We erect statues. We, we put dates on the calendar and circle them as special or important. We have remembrances. We tattoo our bodies. We, we, we buy symbolic things. We, we do things symbolically because we are meaning-making animals. And when something takes hold of the meaning of your life, you, you, in one way or another, by nature, want to memorialize or mark it. Perhaps that's why the closest of Jesus' disciples want to build three edifices on the mountain one day with Jesus. You see, they had gone away, away from the rest of the disciples, and there was a special moment of intimacy. There was prayer, and then something of a spiritual experience enveloped them on this mountaintop. They are high up, and there is this moment that the church and the scriptures have called the transfiguration. It's a big word. And we read about it today on this last day of Epiphany Sunday before we enter into Lent. It's, it's a thing that churches everywhere are going to be thinking about on this very same day and this very same hour across the country and across the world. It's a momentous thing in the gospel. And it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around. There's an enveloping light, a splendor. The, the garments of Jesus are shining and then there's the appearance of, of Moses. Now, if you're one of the people of God, if you're one of the disciples of Jesus, Moses is the great lawgiver of your people. But, but he's more than that. He, he's almost like the founding father, in a sense, or one of the founders. You see, Abraham, the first father, he was given a covenant, an agreement with God that said that through his seed there would be a nation of people. And they would live in a land and they would be a blessing to the whole world. That's Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and it's the outline for so much of Scripture. Moses leads the people out of slavery in, in Egypt, and he leads them to Mount Horeb or Sinai, depending on the text you read. And at the bottom, when he comes down from the mountain with the law, the commandments, the, the things that God wants the people to do, he reads them, and the people say, yeah, we will do all of that. And so they sacrifice some bulls, and they get some blood, and they put it in cups. And this is all in the Bible. You can check me. They then take the blood and they sprinkle it on the people. Are you agreeing to do these things that God asks you to do? Yes, we will do them. And the blood is being sprinkled all over them. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. And my lawyer friends know that this is a contract. And right there is the establishment of a nation. A generation later, they will receive the land. But the nation that Abraham was promised is established under Moses. He's next to Jesus on the mountain in the light. On the other side, there's Elijah, the prophet par excellence. If you know anything about prophets, if you know anything about prophets, they speak the will of God to the people and they usually speak truth to power and they usually criticize the government. They usually get in trouble for what they say, but they're usually right. 
Elijah was one of these prophets who did the prophetic task. And if you follow the prophets well, all of their preaching does this. All of their preaching seems to widen. It's inclusive. It's so much more inclusive than modern day Christianity. It actually thinks about including people of different ethnicities and different religions and different backgrounds. And it wants to find a way, the prophetic message wants to find a way to let other people near to the heart of God. And it's just the people that don't want it to happen, but the prophets speak against it. And so they're fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant too, because you see the whole hope of this nation is they would be a blessing to who? To the nations. And he's there on the right side of Jesus, glowing in the light. And then there's Jesus. Well, maybe this means that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Jesus is the gift to the world. I don't know, but the people there, they, they, they know something's happened. That's what they know. And they, they want to build monuments to them. Oh, and they're afraid. Why is it that we want to domesticate God so much? Make him our friend. I mean, I think God's my friend, but I think the notion of God ought to give me something of a reverence that makes me tremble. I mean, it's that which I cannot imagine. They're told not to be afraid. God comes to us, not fearfully, but in full. And he assures us that it's okay. At some point, the vision is gone and the disciples are told to just go and tell no one. It's transfiguration. What's it all mean? What's it all for? I think when we try to explain it, we lose it. I remember asking a learned pastor once in a Sunday school class, what is transfiguration? And he said, um, and I could see in his eyes that he was going to try to explain it but it almost just escaped the words. And he said, he goes, ah, you know, trans is a word that, that means change and, and figurations figure. There's something about a change of appearance or presence. And he tried to get granular and break it all down so I could have some semblance of a deeper meaning of it. And, and I, I realized, and we kind of all laughed as a class, that the more you tried to explain it, maybe the point of it was a bit lost. Now, I was once in a youth hostel in London. I was enjoying one of my favorite dishes, a full English breakfast. All the sausages and the bacon rashers and the eggs. Baked beans, that's right. Heinz baked beans for breakfast. Mushrooms, what I call a tomato, what they call a tomato. It's all great, except for the coffee. They don't do coffee well in the UK. But I'm enjoying the rest, minding my business, and someone sits next to me, and he starts talking. I don't know what it is about me. I must have it like a sign on my forehead that says, just talk to me, but people do. Sometimes it's a delight and sometimes it's not. I'm sitting there having my breakfast and this guy just starts talking to me about London. And I'm like, oh, okay. He says, what are you doing today? And I tell him that I'm going to the art museum, uh, the institute there. And he told me that I needed to see Claude Monet's water lilies. And I was just trying to be polite. So I said, oh, well, is it a very nice piece? <laughs> and he says, oh, yes. And then he starts talking ad nauseum about Claude Monet and his style and the art and then the piece itself, the water lilies. He's doing brush strokes and whatever and this, that, and the other. And at some point, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I don't even know what he's saying, really. It's not making the picture come alive in my mind. It's not inspiring me. And if I'm honest, I'm even a little annoyed. Like, how do you describe a great work of art to somebody? How do you describe a sunset to somebody? In describing it, you sort of lose it. Later that day, as I found myself 
at that wonderful hallowed space of art, I forgot about my morning breakfast and I was just walking and then I entered into the wing where there was the Claude Monet and I saw the water lilies and I just stood there. And I took it in and I saw it and it was beautiful and I couldn't tell you about why. It just was. To explain it is to lose it. It's something you have to experience. And maybe that's the truth of the, trans, the transfiguration moment for the disciples. You see, disciples of old, disciples of today, we want to know what to do. We want to know what are we supposed to do because of this. And, and maybe, uh, maybe Jesus teaches us, you don't need to build a building here. You don't need a committee to be formed because of what's just happened. You don't need a business meeting. You don't need bylaws. You don't have to pass a resolution. There is not an ethical teaching here. Maybe the only thing for the closest disciples to do on that mountaintop that day, maybe the only thing to do, maybe the most important thing for their existence and their life, maybe the reason for their very being alive was to be in that moment of worship. To be with God. To be with Jesus, who is the, in fact, the, the revealer of God to mankind. This is the image of God. If you would like to approximate your understanding of the creator of all things and who that creator is, look to Christ Jesus. Look to how he walks. Look to how he teaches. Look to how he loves. Look to how he gives his life over. This is God, we say. We look at the cross and we say, I don't get it, but that is my God for me. And he's come for us all. And so maybe it's just to be enveloped in the divine light. Maybe it's to be present with the love and radiance of God. Maybe it's to simply worship. But even as I say that to you now, I'm really aware of how us Christians behave. We don't like doing things unless it produces something else. We like things as means for a greater end. And so even worship we can turn into some sort of moral end, a, a moral tactic to get to somewhere else. And it's not wholly wrong. I mean, worship has an end that is socially good. If people were good worshipers, which I don't know a lot that are, but if people were really good worshipers, they would be replacing their ego self with the Christ-informed self. People would be checking their authority and their power at the door. I wish that we had state and government leaders that actually worshiped. I just don't see the fruit of it. I am telling you, my friends, if people bend the knee before the king of the universe or, or God or, or however you want to put it in the phrase, the one who gives all life life and you say, I am at your service, you have to first say, I am not the end all be all. Someone else is. And if we bend the knee and if we confess our brokenness and if we're honest with each other about our sins, we are not going to be too proud we're not going to be too high up on the hog as it were and act like we're hoity-toity about our moral lives. We're going to realize that we ought to be humble and we got to walk with grace and we got to bend the knee before God and it's God's help that's going to get us there. Oh, there is a good moral imperative to worship. But is that all worship is for? I, I don't think so. I actually think that worship is the reason for your life to find your life attached to the giver of life, to be dancing alive within the divine embrace, the divine encircle of the, of the dancing threeness and oneness of God, to be alive, to be passionately giving of yourself 
within God's love and for the love of neighbor and for love of world, being in this total divine milieu of joy and praise and connection with God. That is the reason you exist. It's the reason you breathe. It's the reason you have an intellect. It's the reason why you have a sense of humor. It's the reason why you have feelings. And it's the reason why we're different and unique. It's good enough to worship. And maybe that's the point of the story. But worship is hard. It's hard because we want a reason for it other than itself. It's hard because we can be persnickety about it. We can be particular. We can be fearful. I remember I was once at, I went to a university that had chapel that you were forced to go to. So you had to go to chapel. You had to worship there, or at least you had to prove that you were there, actually. I skipped chapel one day. I mean, I'm your minister. I'm standing in front of you in church. I'm telling you, I skipped chapel. Confession is good for the soul. I skipped it because I had a Greek exam and the Greek exam was going to be hard. So I skipped chapel to work on Greek. And I ironically went to my Greek class, which was in the chapel building. So I had to walk by the people who were leaving chapel <laughs> as I was skipping it. And I walked by a friend and I said to my friend, well, how was chapel today? Just kind of an innocuous, how are you? Not really expecting an honest answer, you know? And he said, ah, I don't like it. What do you mean? And now, you know, then it became the theological police. So I'm like, what do you mean he didn't like it? Well, I knew what he meant. Whatever worship style was performed, whatever singer, songwriter, whatever that stuff was, it wasn't his style. He didn't like it. He didn't enjoy it. Now, is worship something that you can enjoy? Yes, you can. You're free to enjoy it. But is it for the purposes of your enjoyment? No. You ought to be able to worship in a great cathedral with choral music. You ought to be able to worship with guitars in a pub. You ought to be able to worship with nothing but bread and water and a cold stone floor in a jail cell. Worship isn't to be enjoyed. It's to be done because that's who you are. You are a creature made in the image of a creator who loves you and you need to commune with your God. Worship is to be done. Yet, how many of us can't worship with that style? Can't worship someone's talking? Can't worship because of this? We let ourselves get in the way of reveling in the transfigured glory of Jesus Christ. We live here too much. Sometimes we're just afraid. I've been sharing with you a lot of stories from my health crisis, and I'm, I'm just gonna call it my comeback, okay? Because I'm living my comeback, amen? I'm gonna say it again because I need your help, friends. I'm, gonna, I'm living my comeback, amen? That's right, it's my comeback. But I learned a lot. And so as I had my health crisis, I, most of you know, nearly died. And then it was a long way out of that to getting to a, a, a monicum of health to then be with you. And in that time frame, I gather from the photographs, from the mirror, and from everyone who wanted to tell me, which was a lot of people, that I looked sick. It's amazing what people will tell you. Do you know that you're yellow? Yeah, a little bit. Do you know that your eyes are sunken in? Yeah, I got it. I mean, it's amazing. It's kind of funny, but at some point you just, uh, you stop taking it so seriously, except for I struggled with it. And so I was really always kind of concerned about how, how I looked, how, how frail, how yellow, all that. And so I got to tell you, I was, I was living with that. And then there's that, the other part of my vanity that's even worse. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I have an incredible memory. Uh, naturally speaking, just a really, really scary memory, frankly. But I didn't for a year and a half. My brain was fuzzy. My memories were, were messed up. 
And, and I knew that if I got tired, I would get fuzzy. And, and I was really self-guarded. My wife guarded me from a lot of people because sometimes I didn't sound right. And so I, I was worried about how I presented myself to people. Um, it's just, I'm just being honest with you about my insecurities. I know that you love me, so I can tell you this. Uh, meanwhile, um, you start to learn stuff along the way. I mean, I, you, you learn about how close you were to death and then how close you still are and then what it's going to take to get you out of it. And so I started getting worried about not just how I look and how I present myself, but I'm worried about what the next doctor is going to say. And I worry about the pain I'm feeling right here. What's that pain? Why do I have it right now? And how come I'm bleeding so easily? And why are my fingernails growing the way they're growing? And I'm worried about my intellectual life and being able to get to my writing. And I'm worried about the future of coming back to work. And then I'm worried about everything under the sun. And then I'm reminded of the fact by some comment my kid made that my kids were experiencing a life where their father almost died. And I thought, oh goodness, I'm missing that truth. How dramatic it must be for them. And so in our home, we take mental health seriously. And I hope you do too. And if you hear me talk about it sometimes, it's because I want to normalize it for you. So mental health is just healthcare. Your brain, your body, get it. Take care of yourself, church. Let me be your cautionary tale. You take care of yourself. Go to the doctor. But anyway, we decided it might be good to take the kids to go see a therapist to see if there's some stuff happening because of their fears. And so one day, uh, we finally, uh, I was invited to go to, with my daughter to the therapy. I hadn't been before. She's not gone that many times, but, but she wanted me to go. So I'm sitting there in the lobby and there's like, you know, journals and magazines and I'm looking at it and I'm just kind of being mindful of the fact that maybe I'm going to be observed by the therapist, which makes me a little nervous. I don't know if you've ever thought about things like that, but how am I going to talk and behave and look and do I look the part? And she opens the door and she's joyous with me. And she goes, Mr. Longbonds, my church has been praying for you. How are you? Discovering how many people were praying for me that I didn't even know has been a miraculous experience. We go in, exchange pleasantries, and she takes Marcella, and they're, they're in that room, and the door is open, and I'm sitting here, and they're just talking, and I'm invited to sit at a distance. And then at some point, she says, would you like your daddy to come join us? And she says, yes. And so I go in there, and I sit down in front of a play uh, sandbox area, and she is told to make her world out of the sandbox and all these uh, toys and animals and things. And she's making a beautiful world. And I am preoccupied with maybe how I'm talking. Do, am I projecting to the therapist that I'm a caring father, that I'm a loving father? I'm worried about how I look. I'm worried that I'm, she's going to think that I'm neglectful or something. I mean, I'm worried about all these things that I think, if we're all honest, when the microscope's on you, you get insecure. But I'm being self-focused. That's the point. And I start noticing what Marcel is building. It's this beautiful world, but then she, she has got this little character that's herself, and she puts that little character in the corner of the sandbox, facing the world. And then a, a good bit in front of her was a wall made up of monsters facing her. As I'm over here thinking about my world and how to rebuild it, and I'm looking over here realizing that my daughter's showing me her heart. She's got monsters in front of her. And I'm missing it. Now, I have a theology that I believe, and it's supposed to be 
a lived theology, and that is this, that the human being is a glory and miracle of God. The fact of the matter is, as humans could put people on on the moon, we can make delicious bread and complicated wine. We can sing like Ben Polite. Or no, not all of us can, Ben. You can do that. And you showed us God in your voice today. Dr. Williams played beautifully for us the, the, the human creative impulse for, for technology and art and, 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 and beauty is just incredible and blows the imagination. We, we put people on the moon with a computer that's weaker than ones in your pocket right now. We can dunk basketballs, for goodness sakes. Humanity is a many splendid thing. Everything that is present in the human world was present in one molecule that exploded to make all of existence. Whatever exists now was present in that little bit, and it's becoming realized with a human spirit that has been stamped by the image of God. I believe that the image of God in you is proof testament, proof positive, that God is here and God is present and God is active in the world. I believe, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that sometimes the Christ in my brother's heart is stronger than the Christ in my own heart. So I can see the transfiguration of God, of Jesus Christ, in the life of a brother or sister who's showing me grace. I can find my own transfiguration in the love of another person. It is a complete and utter spiritual experience to be with someone else. If we ever just be present enough to realize that they are important, concrete, irreplaceable, miraculous things, these people. Being with them is to touch something of divinity. And it's God who took on another human person's life, took on our life to show us love. God became us so that we could become like God. I believe all these things, yet I am missing God in my own home because I'm worried about me. And right there, it is. And then the therapist says, where's your daddy in all this? So she gets up and she goes to the place next to the box where there's other characters. And she grabs out a bear, a bear. I'm like a bear to my kids, I think. And she put that bear between herself and the monsters. I didn't have to go to church. I didn't have to climb a mountain. God has made himself present to me all the time. All I really needed to do was to open my eyes to the present moment. Friends, you're at church and that's good. You keep coming to church. You have to be here. This is the room where it happens, D. Right here. You can't get this online. You've got to be here in a room where it happens together around that table and sit under the authority of Scripture. And you can't listen to Ben Polite online like you can listen to him in person. you got to be here. Do that. But I want you to know that God is with you wherever you go. And all that God actually is asking for you, he's begging for you, is to be with him. And maybe you don't have to do something all the time. Maybe you just need to know that you're already, already loved by God and God is there and God just wants you to be present for the light that he's already shining on you. Today's the last day of Epiphany. Advent, the season before Christmas, is the one that is kind of like a light, a candle in the darkness. That's what Advent's like. It's about hope. Christmas tide is 12 days. That's like the lights coming up in a cathedral or at the Fox after a show. The house lights come up and everyone gets its present, gets to be in that light. Epiphany follows the prophets and Jesus as Jesus fulfills the prophets to be the gift to the world. It is the light that goes out into the streets and into the neighborhoods and into your offices and in your car with you where you go. It is the light going out into the world and that light begs to shine on other people and it's asking you to shine it where you go. 
Today is the last day of Epiphany. Be present to God. Let the light shine over you. Have a transfigured heart by the heart of God. And go out here with the warmth and light of love. And as you walk with Jesus to the cross this next season of Advent or Lent, and you come in here on Friday, Good Friday with the lights off, and you await Sunday when the lights come on again. Carry that flame with you. Be present each step of the way as God is present with you. Sometimes all you really have to do is be alive to the worship of God. 